Hello, Legends. Today, I catch up with Marianne Marchese, the founder and CEO of Legalite, a game-changing boutique law firm that specializes in franchising and turning the legal industry on its head. Starting with just $5,000 in her bank account, Marianne turned Legalite into an award-winning brand and company with over 500 clients. We discuss how to innovate an established industry and enter as a new player and take clients from the big guys how every leader that starts a business needs to grow in leadership confidence and the power of two-way feedback with your team. Plus, Marianne shared a bunch of tips to do with franchising and what every business can learn from franchising companies. Enjoy the show. The word on the street is that you are revolutionizing the legal industry. Yes, That's I like to think so. Yeah, definitely. I um I started Legalite with the intention to really flip the traditional legal model on its head. Um, I had worked in traditional private practice for close to ten years, and noticed a lot of inefficiencies and lack of kind of trust with clients because of the billing model of traditional law firms. So when I started Legalite, I set out to completely do things differently, revolutionise, as you say. So we work on a completely fixed fee model. Um, We're completely paperless. We use technology to make our clients' lives easier. And And you're very pro the flexible work environment? 100%. Absolutely, yeah. We... Currently, we have always, even before COVID, um, worked on a hybrid work model. Um, So staff work from home and the office. But more than that, we have a work by design um, philosophy at Legalite. So we design jobs to suit the person, not the other way around. And that can mean anything from, um, you know, tailoring the role to the person's strengths. It can mean that people work at times that suit them. So, for example, if they, you know, want to do school drop-off and pick-up, they suit their working hours around that and what suits their lifestyle and it just means they can integrate their work life and their personal life a bit more seamlessly. That's pretty special. And so you guys now have – when did you start? How long ago? In um, 2017, so about six years ago. Okay, and you already have uh, 400 clients. Yeah. So you're doing something – yeah. That's working well for people. Yeah. I guess w- w- what made you uh, what made you start? What what made you start? Because you, were you a lawyer before that? Or yeah, I was. I worked um, at traditional law firms, and um, I'm I specialize in franchising. I absolutely love franchising. Um, but what made me start was really um, I was sick of the traditional way of practice, but also I was starting to become quite burnt out um, and suffering from anxiety. And a lot of that was because of um, the way that, you know, lawyers are expected to work, being long working hours, the billable hour, which adds a lot of pressure and budgets and whatnot and doesn't allow you to be creative or innovative in the work that you do. And um, through a whole series of events, (laughs) I um, then decided that I would just go out on my own Um, I intended always to be a sole practitioner. Um, I started with $5,000 of my own savings um, 
And yeah, very quickly I was drowning in work because I think what I was doing really resonated with the market. I started getting more and more clients quite organically. I hired my first employee within three months. Um, He stayed with me for five years, which was fantastic. And um, yeah, now we're a team of 10. And so so, so you you yourself, or I I guess your passion for, um, what did you call it, work by design, Mm. comes from you yourself Mm. suffering from that kind Mm. of, I don't want to call it abusive because, you know, everything's in perspective, but that abusive work culture where it's like abusive in the sense that billable hours mean Basically, you need to work as many mm. hours as humanly possible during the day and not mm. just that, I can match you up against everybody else yeah. and see how many hours they've worked, oh, which yeah. means that basically they've got you on a scoreboard saying, you know, who's working the most? Because if you're yes. working the most, that's 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 the best. Yeah. And, and I guess I can see how that w- would be good for nobody because for the client, it's like, well, the lawyer is going to work as long as possible on your project to charge you as much as possible so that they can look good to the firm. Mm. And then on the uh, lawyer – they just have no life balance, they're burning out. Mm. Is that is that kind of what was happening? Yeah, and also it rewards inefficiency. So, yeah, as you said, the longer that you take to do something, the more billable hours you rack up, so therefore you're meeting your budget and then the more the client pays. Um, so it's just not a viable model at all. And, I mean, realistically, you know, the billable hour budgets are usually somewhere around the six and a half hours, but you really have to be at work at least 10 hours to do that because we're human and you can't just work a solid six and a half hours straight. Um, So, yeah, it's just not a viable model. And um, I was, as you said, like it was a very toxic environment. Um, And when I went out on my own, a lot of the reasons were also for lifestyle. Um, Like I remember in the early years I would take kind of two hours off in the middle of the day to go to CrossFit and then take lunch and then come back to work and I was really productive. And then I thought why can't I just extend this to my team once I, you know, started to hire. And um, so I did extend it to them and everybody just enjoys, you know, enjoys their work. They are more productive because they can do the things that are important to them. Do you find that you, though, need to find the right people? Because, you know, Mm. could there be people that you hire that may, you know, take advantage of the system? Like that that's always the fear with companies. Like me and Laura always have this this discussion. Yeah. It's like like Laura needs to do anything and you don't have to ask me. She can just go do it. I I don't care and and I know she's working or I know like Mm. it doesn't bother. Mm. But sometimes there's new people and, you know, you you haven't got that trust yet or you haven't got like – yeah, they, or they might just be someone who's, you know, needs like a big corporate style person who wants to take just – they're used to mm. just taking advantage of the system and not mm. being actually – have a sense of ownership in the yeah, company. Yeah, and you that know, autonomy. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you find that it take you know, you have to find the right people, it mm. takes time to build their trust or you have never had an issue mm. with that? I haven't had an issue with it but also I am very discerning in who we hire. Um, so we make sure that, you know, as much as – possible that we hire the right people for the job and don't just hire to fill a gap or put a bum on a seat. So, you know, we go through a really fantastic two-way recruitment process um, to make sure that we're the right fit for them as well as they're the right fit for us. And then from there, I really work on a basis of trust um, and they, they get trust from day one. Probably the only issue that we've really had is um, people who join us from a traditional environment and come to Legalite 
have a bit of a culture shock in a good way. So they're not used to having all this trust and flexibility and autonomy. So um, we really work with new starters in the first six months to kind of make sure that they're comfortable with the new way of doing things and um, are comfortable with our two-way feedback approach. Tell me about that. So you said you you have a two-way interview process where the person interviews you. I like Mm. that too. We we, we actually do that ourselves. We we have a three-step interview process. One of those steps is the person interviewing two or three of our existing Mm. team to ask questions about, you know, maybe leadership or whatever else. And how do you guys run yours? That's great. We do exactly the same. So we have um, a first interview, just, you know, your standard interview. And then we do that, we call it a reverse interview. So they interview someone from the team. We don't select that person. Like we don't just put forward, you know, the biggest advocate for Legal Eye. They genuinely choose, you know, whoever aligns most with the role that they're applying for and ask them any questions that they want to and it's not reported back to me at all. It's completely confidential. Oh, that's um, good. See, mine's yeah. completely rigged. <laughs> <laughs> completely rigged. We have we have like because I, I think there's some people that they're better at picking people. Yeah. Like there's people on our team that then when they meet someone, they know, okay, this person's mm. a great like person like yeah. Yeah, for us. <laughs> and and so I want those people to meet them. Yeah. Uh, in addition to whoever the hiring manager is for, yeah. for that role. So it's rigged in that sense. Yeah. But it's also rigged in that like um, yes, that per, the you know the interviewee, sorry, the person doing mm. the person being interviewed. Mm. Um, is discovering, learning about the company, but also at the same time you're letting the team choose the person because yeah. if they come back and say, trust me, that person's yeah. wrong, well, that person's obviously not coming in. So yeah. it's a bit of a rigged system but but <laughs> I think it works. It's important and I think also, yeah, in that reverse interview process, if there are any red flags that, you know, the interviewer picks up on that we didn't in the initial stages, then there uh, it hasn't really happened with us but it would be raised, you know. It's a very safe space um, for people to, yeah, be upfront with myself and the leadership team more broadly um, because, you know, we want to make sure it's right for both of us. Yeah. And tell me, so it can be quite scary, I'd imagine, leaving a leaving a large corporate or mm. any, to be honest, any established business, but mm. any industry that is very established, obviously the legal industry is very established. Mm. I would imagine it being quite daunting to – then be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go out on my own and start my own yeah. one of these because there's a lot of competition. Yes, and um, there's a lot of great lawyers. For example, you know, it, it's it's I wouldn't I don't want to call it a flooded market, but but there are a lot of mm. lawyers. Mm. So it's kind of like, well, how do you how did you get the courage to do that, and how did you stand out? How did you make sure, mm. okay, well, they're going to choose me and not one of the more established firms at yeah. that point in time? Yeah, at that point in time. Um, there was a whole, like I said, there was a whole series of events that led to me making the decision and it was um, I had been approached to go to a larger law firm um, and was pretty well um, progressed in the recruitment process and then it was the, I think it was the day after Trump got elected and they panicked and they thought there was going to be a recession and they pulled the job off the table because Trump got elected. It was just the most bizarre thing. Well, they were wrong. The economy went beautifully. <laughs> it's quite hilarious yeah. and it worked well for me, obviously. But it just made me realise for sure that traditional law firms don't care about people underneath it all. Um, and they do treat people like a number. You know, typical, I'm talking very generally. And to me that was 
kind of the, it was the trigger that I needed to take a leap of faith and start my own thing. And because I had, you know, expected to be a sole practitioner, I was happy to take a pay cut from, you know, what I was earning prior. The pressure was really off and it just allowed me to be, um, like I'm always an ambitious person, but it just gave me the freedom and flexibility to work on the business and build it um, and do things the way that I wanted to do. And it just all paid off really quickly. I didn't end up taking a pay cut. I ended up giving myself a pay rise, which was fantastic. So I think, yeah, just, um, yes, it was scary. Of course, starting a business is always scary. How did you get those first clients? Like, how did you convince people like, hey, you should come to me? Yeah. As opposed to an established firm. Yeah, I think the point of difference really was um, our, my fixed fee model. So it was almost unheard of when I started Legalite for law firms to work on a fixed fee model. It's becoming a bit more common now, which is fantastic, um, and to see the industry changing and evolving. Um, but to your point earlier as well, it is a very saturated market. Um, but I specialise in franchising, which is a very niche area, and I was able to establish myself as a leader in franchising. And so I started Legalite with a handful of clients, about six, that came with me. And from there it's grown to, as you said, um, now over 500 clients. Um, A lot of that has been through organic growth, so referrals, um, networking and my own contacts and my own network. Um, But, yeah, the early years were definitely a bit of a grind. But I guess the the answer to, you know, so how do you break into an established industry mm. would be to uh, observe the the industry in the market and see what's going wrong for clients. Mm. So see what, where, where are clients not liking this industry. Yeah. And then the second thing I think you did really well was you actually had a, a specialty, you know, you're a franchising specialist. Mm. Um, and and having a having a, a focus, mm. I think, is always uh, an essential yeah. element. Yeah, I think rather than being a generalist or a jack of all trades, and from the outset, I never set out to be a jack of all trades. So we are a commercial law firm, um, but franchising is absolutely you know our specialty. And now pro- we've started a property practice as well, but we focus on what we're really good at, and as you said, you know, yeah, it wasn't about fitting the mold because I. I don't think Legalite would be as successful as it is had I just fit the mould. I essentially in the early years I used to take the view that whatever the traditional law firms were doing, I would do the opposite and that really worked in my favour in the early years and now, you know, now it's just become a way of life that we are so innovative in the way that we do things and we're continuously evolving and improving what we do as well. It's not always the same thing, doesn't always work um, but we're evolving with changing needs and, you know, changing market and things that are going on externally as well. And how do you juggle um, managing a um, a highly successful law firm and being, I assume, a very busy mum? Yeah. You have a, a, uh, how old are you first? He's almost two years old. You've got a two-year-old and you've got one on the way. I've got one on the way as well, yeah, in October. So there'll be about two years difference between them. Um, Mayhem. Yeah, it is. It's chaos at the moment. Um, (laughs) So I don't know if I am juggling it as well as I would like to be, but I have a lot of support, um, family support. He's in daycare twice a week as well. 
But also I don't work on Mondays. That's my day with my toddler and it's just absolutely sacred and I just make sure that, you know, I dedicate that time to spend with him. Um, but, yeah, it is, it's hard. It's definitely won't say that it's easy being a mum and also being pregnant. Um, I was quite sick in my first trimester um, so that was really difficult but I love the business so much and I love what I do that that's what I need to kind of push me through. That's the thing, like there's always a way. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you love something or when, when you want something, whether, I mean, whether it be pregnant or being mm. a dad or a mom or like whatever mm. the, there's always things in life, no matter who you are, that are there's getting in the something. way. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's always a way to juggle, um, you, you know, your business with, with, um, with your life. It, mm. It's just, you have to find a way and some people yeah. do and some people give up. They're, they're the people that shouldn't be in business. Probably um, not. Yeah. They should have a job because yeah. because you, you can do that in a job. Yeah, you know, There's absolutely. leave. <laughs> yeah, there's I, need, leave I need to take my sick leave or my whatever leave or oh, there's 10,000 leaves these days. Yeah. Oh, my foot hurts leave. Like there's leave, <laughs> there's leave yeah. for anything. Oh, it's bad weather. I'm going <laughs> to stay at home. Yeah. You know, I'm scared of the rain. They, they honestly have that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but when you're a business owner, you don't have that mm, luxury. No, you don't have that yeah, luxury. You're, either, you're, you're sink or swim. Yeah. And and so did you start then the practice before – yeah, you would have. So you started the practice yeah. before your first. Yeah, I started the practice um, in 2017 and had my first in 2021. Um, and I'm so glad that I had my first when I had my own business and wasn't an employee because – um, we went through fertility struggles. It took us three years to fall pregnant and I went through IVF and I don't think I would have been able to go through the emotional and physical roller coaster of IVF if I worked for someone. Um, it needed, you know, I needed to be flexible and very kind to myself during that time. Um, it was also during various lockdowns so I had to attend appointments on my own. There were complications and things like a whole range of things that, I think as an employee I just would have felt really stifled and guilty and coming from toxic workplaces I wouldn't have felt um, like empowered to go through that process. So I'm like I said I just love my business and I'm so also grateful to it that it's given me the freedom that I want in life to you know achieve the lifestyle and the family that I want. Yeah, I, I think that's what it does. It gives you that freedom. Like, uh, mm. what you, you said, you're grateful to your business. I mean, I understand that. I think all business owners would understand that statement. All of them would probably also be like, you know, fuck, I hate that place sometimes. You know, <laughs> yeah. like this, it's a very love hate relationship. <laughs> and I think that's but, natural. You yeah. go through lulls in the business as well. I did when I was in my first trimester and I was so sick. I just hit a complete lull in the business, like an, a bit of an entrepreneurial dip where I was like just why could I just not get a paycheck why did I do this and you know have sick leave and whatnot because it's stressful running a business let alone when you're not feeling great 100% um, but I just ride through those because I know that they're going to happen they're natural and I'll come out of it so I kind of just yeah wait it out. I think that goes for like I was reading are you on Bowie yet? Yeah, yeah are, I am obviously yeah um, I was reading like a Bowie user's post mm. and they were saying that like, you know, I'm having a horrible day or whatever. Like I, mm. I think it was like yeah, you know, I saw I'm, that I haven't been feeling good or something. Yeah. And I actually thought about posting that the other week because I was having it, I don't, I don't know, maybe last week or the week before, but I was having just that I, I just felt like everything was going wrong. Mm. 
and, and, and when you feel like that, it doesn't matter if things are going right. You mm. just, you, you're in the headspace of, mm. you know, it's going wrong. But, but it's incredible to see how quickly um, it changes. Yeah. Like I actually commented on that person's post. I can't remember if it was a guy or a girl, but, but man or woman. But, um, but I commented, I was like, you'd be surprised how quickly that disappears. Mm, like just you, passes. Yeah, you might, mm. be, you might be having a horrible day, you know, thinking about mm. work in the morning and then by the afternoon mm. you're feeling, yeah, you're on top of the world, everything's yeah. going great all of a sudden. You know, it's, it's amazing because not much changes, you know, yeah. like nothing that much can change in a day or a week. Yeah, that's so, right. So, you know, it really is just your natural bodies. Yeah, we're human. Yeah, I think we just have like hormone cycles, mm. yeah. men too, like yeah. men and women, like just – it's just a human thing where you have to feel shit sometimes. Mm. You have to feel great sometimes. Yeah. Uh, pregnant or not, but yeah, you know you yeah, have to. You have sure. to. Yeah, you there's have to always understand something. that wave. Yes, I yeah I think so, and yeah I kind of ride the wave. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Like it's very natural, and I think as business owners, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to always be performing at our peak. But we are human. And, you know, we will have off days and whatnot. Um, But for me, I try to actively remember to also enjoy the good times and celebrate the wins as well because I don't know if you're like me and other business owners are like me, but the wins are so, like, when they're great, they're great. And then you kind of just move on to, okay, what's the next thing now? What's the next thing? Um, But really remembering to stop in the moment and enjoy the wins has been really important for me and a bit of a learning curve for me as well. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people don't do Mm. enough Um, and it's important to them. I think the reason they don't do it is because you're never where you want to be, yeah. especially as a business owner. Like yeah. You're never where you want to be. So oh no, you're always, always like, changing. yeah, people say to me like, oh, I'm really proud of you. I'm like, not yet. You know, because <laughs> yeah. you're just never where you want to be. And and that, that's a bit of a sickness. I don't know if that's a positive yeah. or a negative because it either yeah. drives you forwards or yeah. slows you down. But did you ever have like, because you went from being a lawyer to, to a leader, mm. to a business person, mm. was that a transition? Did oh, you ever have like huge. a? Yeah, it was a huge transition for me. Um, starting as a sole practitioner and then with one employee, learning to be an employer, um, which I obviously never had been before. So that was an adjustment from that to employer um, and then to having a small team and managing kind of, you know, performance and interpersonal things that were going on um, to in more recent times becoming more of a strategic director within the business. And so because I went from a startup to an established brand and that really necessitated a bit of an adjustment in my journey as a leader. Um, So there's been so much learning over six years and I'm completely different to what I was on day one in terms of being, you know, a leader. Um, And I think, you know, when I started, I was probably more of a manager, not a leader. So what would describe that though? What what were some of the issues you were having at the start? Because I I mean – I'm I'm one of those people that say the most difficult part about business is actually people. Hundred percent. Like yeah. it, it's business could work really easily and yeah. well. Like if, if there yeah. were no people f- problems. Yeah. It, yeah. So so leadership is 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 one of every company needs an amazing leader, whether it be the owner or whether it be one of the you know mm. partners or whatever it is. But there mm. always needs to be someone that keeps the troops happy in line, mm. motivated um, and, and ready to go. Yeah. 
how, how were you, did you stumble at all the start or what were some of the areas yeah. you, you realised, oh, shit, I'm doing Oh, well. I made so many mistakes at the start and I'm still learning and I'm sure I still make mistakes. I'm sure that, oh, I hope the team tells me when I do. But I think that's also what's what it is about being a leader is that your team feels comfortable coming to you and, you know, we do have that philosophy of two-way feedback like I spoke about earlier. Um, but for me it was going from a manager and focusing on, you know, operational effectiveness to moving more towards a leader who can empower team members, who can get the best out of their team and who can encourage everybody to bring their whole selves to work. So would you describe that as you went from someone that was managing in that checking to make sure they did the right Mm. thing to becoming someone who empowers them and gives them Mm. the tools to do the best they can do? Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes as leaders we probably dip into a bit of both, manager and leader, but for the most part, you know, being a leader was quite challenging because I had to do things that I wasn't used to and wasn't comfortable with, like having brave conversations with people, um, whether that's team members or clients, um, you know, and that was probably the biggest adjustment for me going from manager to leader um, was, yeah, really leaning into those difficult and brave conversations um, you mean like like just being honest and having a tough conversation with someone about doing mm. something wrong or firing someone or? Not necessarily doing something wrong but if something isn't working in a way that is, you know, productive for both Legalite and, you know, the person or the client, talking about things up front and just being really transparent rather than sweeping things under the rug. Um, even just, you know, things like culture and making sure that, were working, you know, within a positive culture and trying to, you know, avoid obviously ever having that toxic law firm culture, um, it requires work. You can't kind of just sit back and expect that things will be fine. Like you have to have those brave conversations to move the needle forward. Um, so, yeah, that was that was probably the biggest thing for me in my kind of journey to and, leader. And people don't think about that when starting a business like the scary conversations, mm. there are whether they're scary or they're just uncomfortable or you, conversa- mm. you ha- often have to have conversations that, you know, could, would make the normal person nervous. Yeah. And and when you work for a company, you can just avoid them because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But when it's yours, you have to have those yeah. conversations. And yeah. and I actually think that you you gain confidence over time in having them mm. too. It's, you know, you kind of learn, okay, look, this is just part of the job yeah. and I need to do it because every time I do it, it's better for yeah. my business. Yeah, that's right. It's better for the business. It's better for the person. And, you know, you I always approach those conversations out of care and respect for the future, um, like for the person's future and for Legalite's future. So it's always, you know, as long as it's well-intentioned, um, I think it's really important to have those brave conversations because it ultimately leads to better results and outcomes. I read that you look at business as a force for good. Mm. What do you mean by that? So, and how do you relate that to to, to a law firm? Yeah. yeah. So, um, what we mean by that is that as a business, you've got a bigger platform to contribute to, you know, communities, charities, and whatnot than you do on an individual level. It's always something that I've really cared about, you know, particular causes that are close to my heart and I can contribute so much more through Legalite than I could on a personal level. So um, I introduced 
the giving project to Legal Line a couple of years ago. Um, and that's where we pledge 1% of our revenue to a charity of a, a team member's choice every month. And the charities are causes that are really important to the team. Um, and then we support the charities through um, pro bono work as well. And, um, you know, to date, I think we've raised about $15,000 towards various charities. It also is really great for our culture because the team feels like they're doing more than just their job and they're contributing to, you know, the community. And, um, for example, last month um, we contributed to the ASRC, which was at risk of completely going under. So to know that we've had a very small part to play in keeping, you know, a vital charity alive um, really kind of gives us purpose beyond our day-to-day jobs. I mean, I'm obviously the number one advocate for business as a force for good. I, I, that's the whole reason why my passion is supporting business. Mm. But And I think business is a force for good regardless if you do the charity work. Mm. Doing the charity work like you're doing is even on top of that because mm. business is already a force for good. Yeah. And the only thing I think is that the government doesn't treat us like a force no, for good. They treat us like a force for bad. They're trying to suppress yeah. you, trying to push you down and take from you. It's yeah. like, no, no, you shouldn't be yeah. – contributing to this world you, you mm. know, do less do less it's it's annoying it's like can you get mm. off me i'm trying to actually do something nice for everybody yeah yeah and, and contribute to the economy and yeah and everything give yeah. people purpose and growth mm. and 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 never mind the mental support and the mental health yeah. you, you provide for 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 team members like yeah. these are these are unpaid service you know <laughs> yeah. like i should be paid by government you know, <laughs> give me tax deduction or you know, give me something like e- even if it was personal income i don't have a personal income tax that should take me away because yeah. i'm already contributing through yeah. starting a business yeah. therefore you know so but but business is a force for good and completely and agree. Yeah. yeah i think that's that's kind of the mindset a mindset a small business owner should have when starting it it's mm. very much how can i bring value to mm. others. Yeah, mm. That's really the question in business we're doing. It's like yeah. how is my business adding value to, yes. to others? In your case it was, well, I think that people, that, that um, I could provide better service to clients by offering fixed uh, mm. fixed fee costs, uh, make lawyers happier by having uh, work by design mm. culture mm. and make my clients' life easier by, yeah. by um, getting rid of all the paper and all the nonsense and using technology yeah. to simplify it. And as a result, we've got such trusted relationships with our clients. They know they can budget for their legal spend. They know we've got their best interests at heart. And we take the time to also understand their strategic direction and we align our legal resources to their, you know, strategy. So we undertake detailed legal planning to be able to support them in what they've got on the horizon. So supporting their business to grow and that's what I love about franchising is they're business owners as well. They're growing a business, scaling a business, sometimes going international and we're there to support them with that. And, you know, our mission is simplified and forward thinking services. And that's so important for us that we're not just, you know, clients aren't just coming to us and asking for X and we do X. We take the time to understand what's on the horizon and make sure that we can be forward thinking and proactive about the legal services that we provide. And talk to me about franchising. You're obviously passionate about it. Where'd that come from? I Initially I fell into it. So I when I did my um, graduate training, I rotated through a franchising team. I really enjoyed it, but I hated the experience of working in a large law firm, which is where I did my training. And I actually left the law for about nine months 
to find myself because <laughs> I had gone um, straight out of uni into full-time work, had never kind of taken a break. And, um, yeah, so I did that for nine months and did kind of floated around in different roles and I landed in um, a temp role at Tats Lotto, which is a franchise, and I really enjoyed it and I thought I'm just going to give private practice one more go and see, you know, see how it goes and um, – I did and I ended up staying at that firm for four years doing franchising. That was where I really found my feet in it and really loved working with, you know, brands and seeing them, you know, seeing them grow but also it's quite tangible. Like if you're walking around shopping centre or driving past a a strip shop, um, chances are you'll see, you know, one of our clients signs up and I really enjoy that. And so franchising is obviously a method of scaling for business. Yeah. Why is franchising a better method than others, for example? Mm. It's not necessarily a better method, but it's so highly regulated in Australia. So chances are if if businesses want to scale under the same brand name, it's going to be considered a franchise. Um, so that's why it's so prevalent in Australia. Um, it can be – it is a very fantastic model for overseas expansion because you're essentially – replicating a system that you know works and I think that's the beauty of not just franchising but you know scaling a business where you've got the systems underpinning it Um, and I've learned a lot from franchising for my own business as well I kind of in the early years I treated Legalite as if it was a franchise so everything is documented we've got a Legalite operations manual and it meant that when I did grow the team it was really seamless and that scaling was so easy and I think that's a lesson that a lot of business owners can take from f- franchising. Completely agree. Yeah. Franchising, you have to have your systems written mm. down and replicated. Yeah. I reckon most SMEs don't. Mm. And and even with Cub, like we went through phases when we did and then we changed how we did things and then you forget to update the manual. And yeah. then, you know, there should be like an annual manual yeah. updating, uh, you know, quarter one every year you got to update yeah. the manual for, for or, or quarter four probably be better updated for the yeah. next year. Because if you don't have it written down, it's not real. Yeah. And and that's what franchising is. It's about yeah. replication. And so people typically purchase – so if they're – like what's a franchise you might work with that we KX could say? KX Pilates. So like KX Pilates. Someone could come and say, hey, I want to open a K. So yeah. like a, someone who wants to be in business, wants to run their own business, but perhaps doesn't want to create something new, they can go to KX Pilates and be mm-hmm. like, hey – I exactly. want to open a KX Pilates and do they they typically would purchase a franchise yeah. Yeah. and then they pay a monthly fee. Yeah. Or, or, or can they pay a percentage of revenue or how does that Yeah, it's work? often a percentage of revenue. Sometimes it is a flat fee but absolutely they're getting access to systems and processes and support from the franchise or which businesses can kind of emulate in the way that they are with their staff or if they've got branch offices elsewhere and – the good thing about that is that clients get the same experience anywhere they go or whoever they talk to and that's what franchising is all about. Like you go to a McDonald's in, you know, Bendigo or you go to Sydney CBD, you're getting the same, you should be getting the same experience um, and that's, yeah, that's what franchising is all about and that's what I've applied within Legalite as well. So we've got, you know, processes and systems um for things, which means clients get a consistent quality experience. And what are the type of people typically that open franchises? Mm. So not the franchisor, but the franchise. Franchisees, yeah. yeah. Like who, who are they? Have you seen? Yeah, they can um, range, but typically we find 
people who have an interest in starting their own business but as you said they don't want to start from scratch and if they can buy into a business that's already established and already has the brand there that's typically the people that tend to buy franchises. We do see a lot of um, franchisees who have had a long corporate career and then are looking to be a business owner and that's when you know they they consider franch buying a franchise. And what what do in your opinion the franchisors that's what you call them? Yep. What do they what's the What's important for them to do in managing their franchisees? Like, mm. what makes a what makes for a good franchise? A good franchise, yeah. Or should I say franchise or franchise yeah. or? Oh, either, yeah. yeah. <laughs> franchise or <laughs> in terms of, yeah, the the person granting the franchise rights, um, the way that they are will have flow on effects to how successful the franchise itself is, like the franchise network. But really, any franchise or who approaches the relationship as two-way street, um, not one where the franchisor has more power than the franchisee or more con- is controlling of the franchisee. Of course, there is a bit of a power imbalance. That's just the nature of it because it's the franchisor system, but approaching it almost like a marriage, like you're working together, you want the franchisee to be successful. At the end of the day, you want, if they're successful, the franchisor and the franchise will be successful as well. So I think it's that mindset approach of, you know, going in again with the best of intentions um, and acknowledging that the franchisee is obviously paying for the system um, and confidential information and so supporting the franchisee to grow that franchise business, whether that's through marketing or whatever it is. Yeah, I guess, well, you'd have to look at it as it is your business because The, if the franchisee doesn't make money, you're not making any money. Exactly. So you need them to thrive. You need yeah. them to be successful. Yeah. Um, and seeing it as just an extension to your business, yeah. um, I, I'd imagine. And what's the difference between franchising and licensing in Australia? Yeah, so that does come down to the regulation really. Um, so in a franchise, if you are operating under the same brand and paying fees, then it's considered a franchise at law whereas a licence is missing one of those elements. So it's really just a technicality in Australia, whether it's a licence or a franchise. But licences can be more common with things like licensing of IP where there's not necessarily a brand name attached to it. Okay, so if you want to do a brand name, it almost has to be a franchise. Pretty much. If you're yeah, licensing a brand name and they're paying you fees in exchange, it'll very likely be a franchise. And why would someone do fran- – so if I wanted to open up a lot of cubs very quickly. Yep. Just using cubs as yep. the example. Why would I do a franchise opposed to like a partnership, like having yep. someone invest in a cub, in that yeah. particular cub entity and yep. running that entity? It's a great question. Um, really it comes down to having people on the ground to be able to expand your business. So if you've got people on the ground, say you wanted to expand to Brisbane, If you've got people on the ground there that can operate under a corporate model and like you've got employees and managers and whatnot, that's great. But a lot of businesses that are looking to expand don't. They don't have a presence in, keep using Brisbane as an example, they don't have a presence there, they don't know the market there, they don't have a network there. So having a franchisee who does have that can be really um, beneficial in scaling quicker than you would otherwise. Um, so yeah, often it's, 
it's for businesses who want to scale and grow a bit quicker. Get a um, local presence, local understanding yeah. of the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's cheaper, I guess, probably because you, yeah. the franchise doesn't have to actually put money into That's the... That's right. Yeah, the franchisee is the one putting in the capital investment. Um, so it makes for a really great model to scale. And do the franchisees often um, borrow the money to, to put in or would they often, have Often, yeah. It'd mostly be borrow, would Yeah, they? often they borrow money. Um, and, yeah, I mean, franchises can, if there's small concepts... Might not be that much, but if you've got a premises, the fit out usually is where most of that investment goes. So it can be quite significant. And now just before we wrap up, you mentioned something before that I wanted to get to, which was a two-way feedback. So we yeah. spoke about two-way interviewing. Yeah. But what do you mean by two-way feedback with your team? Yeah. Um, so we have essentially a policy of two-way feedback where we give constructive criticism or feedback, I won't call it criticism, <laughs> constructive feedback to the team, but they likewise can give constructive feedback to the leadership team. So we have, um, instead of annual performance reviews, we have uh, quarterly reviews, which are essentially, a, it's a framework where the employee reflects on areas of strength, areas where they need improvement, areas where they need more support. And we enter that conversation about how can we, you know, help you to achieve your goals. So it's not just about, oh, you did this, this and this wrong and, you know, this is what you need to do to get a pay rise next year. It's really supportive um, framework about, yeah, helping them to, to, you know, be their best at work. And likewise, I always ask my team, not just in those reviews, but, you know, general conversations, what more do you need to see from me? How do you like to receive feedback from me? What support do you need? So because I'm learning as well, um, you know, we're never perfect. So it's I think that's a really powerful question. I don't think I've ever asked anyone that. <laughs> that well, maybe you can after yeah, today. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I've got a couple of meetings today. I'm going to pull out that one. <laughs> how could I be better? Yeah, and yeah. like how can we help? And Laura's nodding. <laughs> I'm perfect. I don't know why anyone ever says anything bad. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really powerful question to say, how can I help? Um, and you can apply that not just to your team but to clients, to charities as well. Um, but, you know, and and we're so – my team is so diverse and that's that's been a very conscious decision but also understanding issues that people might face that are unique to them or the way that they like to work that is unique to them. And so finding out information about that, then asking how can I help, is that's really what's actually evolved Legalites where it is now. That's why we've got a work by design framework now. Like it's all evolved based on that two-way feedback. So it can be very powerful. I think it's amazing. I love when I speak to people and just everything they say is aligned. Like yeah. the vision, the company, the way you treat the staff, the, mm. the absolute everything you do is just so aligned. That, mm. That's how you know that's a winner. Like that's <laughs> that's they're on the right path. You mm. know? And, and, and you don't often see it. It's, it's no. actually it's rarer than you'd imagine. But mm. just so I'd call you very aligned yeah. <laughs> as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur. It's, it's amazing yeah. to see. Thank you. And do, do you read much or, I mean, you're a lawyer, you, half your job's reading, but but do you read much in terms of personal development? Yeah, I've a lot, um, especially in the early years. I read so many kind of business books, self-development books, 
and um, I try to now. I don't have as much time as I'd like to. I'm always halfway through a book. It's I tend to read on my iPad. It's always when I pick it back up again, it's like page 100. <laughs> so I've got a lot of incomplete books at the moment, but it's, it is something that I really love to do. Is there one that was, I guess, the most pivotal for you or most memorable? Um, yeah, the E-Myth. Um, it was pivotal because I was doing some of those things already and I realised the E-Myth is kind of like a franchise, like the concepts behind it is like franchising and that solidified for me that I was, you know, on the right track with thinking about my business like a franchise and how important systems were to scale. I haven't quite mastered it yet and I don't think I ever will <laughs> to our point earlier about there's always something. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I think it is so important. Um, I don't know if you've read it and other listeners have read the e-myth, but it's all about having systems and scaling your business so that you're not working in the business all the time, but you can work on it, which is obviously like every business owner's dream. The holy grail. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It was fantastic. Did you enjoy me. it? Yeah, I loved it. Thank yeah, you so much fun, for having me. No, yeah. please, thank you for coming and thank you for being a cub member. And Pleasure. if you need, honestly, anyone that's interested in franchising should reach out to Legalite <laughs> and, and Marianne because they're the place to go. But uh, if you want to get in touch, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find um, what well, greatest lessons, tips and tricks and get in contact with Marianne there. Um, and if you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome and it's actually popping off lately. So you should definitely get on there. Thank you again. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show.